The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Canyon, canyon, <laughs> canyon, canyon. I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. And I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And this is our Jack White history and music podcast in which we go through and uh, pick a different topic every week. And this week, James, a historic uh, moment in Third Men podcast history, James. A historic moment, yes. An historic moment. Uh, the moment in which Jack White... I don't know. Why is it historic? Why is it an historic it, moment? It is an historic moment because it is the second time we've done a part two episode, oh, James. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, oh, yes. Uh, yes. And history being made. History being made right, uh, right out the gate here. And so last week we began our deep dive into the album Get Behind Me, Satan by the White Stripes. And this week we're going to pick up where we left off and uh, continue to analyze and eventually review said album. Yeah, so we'll 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 get our diving goggles on. Yeah, or our swim caps. Sure, we're dive right on in. Why not? I I hope you all had a good week. You know, I had a pretty good week. You know, it was Martin Luther King Day, so I had the day off. Uh, that was very nice. Um, James, what did you do this week? <laughs> I got, I got I I strapped on some fresh new ice skates that my wife got me, and I, 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 I went to the ice rink. Is that real? Yeah. Are you serious about that? Rink. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was nice. It was good. That good, sounds very Good nice. fun. Had some hot cocoa. <laughs> good good fun, hot cocoa. Um, I went record shopping. I picked up a couple nice records here. I got it. I'm, I'm in a Jenny Lewis phase right now, and so I, I'm working on that. And, it's not um, a phase. I mean, it might be. I don't know, but I mean. Living the Lewis life. I'm living the Lewis life, and uh, yeah, I don't know, it's been a pretty good time. So, uh, you know, without further ado, uh, I think we're going to get back into it, James. Yeah, let's get, let's get back into it, Paul. 
previously on Lost. This is a, an audio medium, but you cannot see that I am currently spinning my head around 360. It's very frightening. Uh, we're going to go track by track. We're going to review it. We're going to get into a little bit of background here. Uh, there's going to be lots going on. Paul, do you want to tell us what's fact you're smelling? I do. <laughs> so this is in a transitionary period for Jack in the labels department because this is not pre-Third Man. This is pre-Third Man moving to Warner Brothers. Months after this album's released, he's in the studio with Brendan Benson recording Steady As She Goes and stuff. So, like, he's on that precipice of, I'm done with this yeah. hyper-minimalist thing, at least for the time being. This new album was sort of different. I, I think it was sort of a, just sort of a purging of a lot of different sort of frustrations and... I think a lot of things to do with the environment of Detroit and the scene we came from. We, you know, we stayed, we lived, we stayed, lived, we still live there, you know. And it's hard to do that. This is via Rolling Stone. Until a couple of months before Satan, I hadn't written anything in a year and a half. Whoa. Mm. I have to ask, have you ever had a Jack sighting? Yes, multiple. You have? Yes. Okay. Paul, I think I'm looking at somebody's webcam. <laughs> Paul, help me. <laughs> He's turning into a cockroach. Now, the conclusion. So, James, that brings us to one of my favorite songs from the Jack White catalog here, Little Ghost. Mm. It is two minutes and 18 seconds of joy. Yeah. yeah. We, we briefly brought this up at the Halloween special as one of the ghost mentions that Jack has in his songs. There's many ghost mentions. Yeah, Jack has often uh, frequent characters pop up in his music, and the ghost is sort of one of them, along with, as we spoke about last episode, Susie Lee, which uh, this album is dedicated to, and a handful of others, the female god, etc. cetera. Uh, but Little Ghost is really... One of the more direct references to ghosts in Jack White music. She doesn't sing on every song, so whenever we get a Meg vocal credit, I get a little excited, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, there's it's a it's kind of a stomper, I guess you'd call it. It's got some Celtic vibes to it. I would say it's, it's like shades of what we would hear in Icky Thump on, like, St. Andrew and Prickly Thorn, Sweetly Worn kind of thing. A little bit. Yeah. It's the fast mandolin playing, I think, does it. Um, yeah. It's got that kind of folk. Irish folk song kind of vibe. Uh, yeah, and you know, particularly because there was so much emigration from Celtic origins that wound up in America, I think there are a lot of parallels to be drawn between the American South and like some traditional Irish and 
and Scottish and English sort of folk songs. So I, th- I feel like there's there's shades of that going on here. But obviously Jack is really super into the mandolin uh, after his experience on Cold Mountain, which we covered in episode 16. Correct. Via Fresh Air interview, there's a couple Jack quotes about this song. He said, I wrote this song at a friend's house. I wrote it in about five minutes, <laughs> which off the dome. You know, dome rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a short amount of time. That is a um, very short amount of time. Yes. And he went on to say, "I'm the only one that notices all the beautiful things about someone when they're in love." Is he? Is he? Um, <laughs> wanted to equate it with something you couldn't actually see, like a ghost. Okay. Okay. So I mean, <laughs> it's like sort of the effervescent, sort of non corporeal. Yeah, non-obvious <laughs> qualities about somebody, uh, I, I guess, is what he's talking about. Uh, also, he, he went on to mention that we, we tried to make each song have its own personality on the record, so this one definitely does stand out from the rest. It is a marked departure from the other ones. They all stand out, I guess, in their own way, but really, when you think about this album, you kind of sum it up with piano ballad, right? I mean, that's kind of yeah. what this album is, mostly piano and marimba. Uh, but yeah, this, this song... Mm is so so much of a departure from the rest of the album that I actually thought this was a cover for a long time because I was like this this can't be his writing because it's just so different you know from the rest of what I'm hearing on this album yeah it is it um, is really really different Pitchfork called it out in their sort of retrospective on the album I'm calling you out <laughs> with, with its pitchforks and its <laughs> uh, I kept wondering which songs are about Jack's one-time flame renee zellweger since the two met while working on cold mountain the grating faux mountain song little ghost about a mystery woman who jack quote can't do much to please quote and is soon gone is a good bet this jack never confirmed nor denied any of this stuff i think as we talked about before on this record he's not really singing about something specific all the time it's more of a culmination of a lot of the things he was experiencing although there are standouts like we know White Moon was about Meg. Could this one be about Renee? Possibly. I mean, he was with her for a long enough time for that to be a, a possibility. Yeah. Diffuser called this one a tale of unrequited love, which it absolutely yeah. is. Which brings us, James, to one of my favorite tracks on the album, The Denial Twist. Ooh. Ooh. If you think that a dance is all in the hips, oh well. We'll do the twist. I remember at the time, I don't know about you, James, but like when this came out, I remember even people who didn't quite get the album were sort of playing this one um, because Mm -hmm. it is kind of a, it was kind of a hipster draw, I think, you know, it's sort of throwbacky, but also kind of rocking and upbeat and stuff. And so even though the subject matter is incredibly depressing, it is kind of one of the few upbeat tunes on the record. Yeah. And it's got a, uh, it's got Meg's nice little um, maraca playing in the background 
Yeah, it's it's. I think it's a maraca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like that. Uh, it's yeah, it's nice. It's a good song, and uh, it's it's definitely even though it's like you said, utterly depressing. It had a lot of radio play and uh, a lot of television play too on air. He played this one on the Daily Show we talked about. True. A couple episodes back. Great video too. Uh, yeah, this is the Conan video. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really great. We'll we'll talk about that in just a second. I mean, we're of the generation where we only sort of know what FM radio hits are by hearing about them. FM radio hits don't really sort of mean anything anymore. But if you had to, I guess the stand-in would be like college radio kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I feel like this song fell into that. While I don't feel like it was a smash success, uh, it definitely got a lot of like rock and indie crowd play. Right. You know, I knew that Lazaretto was getting radio play, the title song Lazaretto, uh, when I heard it in a Five Guys Burgers and Fries. <laughs> and I, I have a feeling that if Five Guys was around, Denial Twist would probably come on in a Five Guys Burgers and oh, Fries. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there are definitely five guys who would listen to that song. <laughs> um, I think it's the strongest track on the album, to be honest with you. I mean, in terms of like, uh, people point to Blue Orchid on this one who don't, people who don't really like this album point to Blue Orchid and say, oh, I like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say as a representative of the record, but while still being kind of a strong rock and roll song, I think the Denial Twist is the best we get on here. All right. I, I, I mean, it's between that and, like, what, Red Rain? Like, oh, Red Rain, though. I do love it. Um, <laughs> we'll get to Red Rain. It was released as the third single from Get Behind Me, Satan, on November 7th, 2005. And uh, it was the first song ever officially performed live on a normal episode of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, as we talked about on our television episode. The cover photo on the single was taken by Brian Muldoon, who had ah. mm, who had previously worked with Jack during his days as an upholsterer. Yes, yeah, I was going to say, he was uh, the, the second band member in the upholsters. Yes, at the time of the article I was referencing here, Brian currently plays drums and keyboards in the band The Muldoons, who is 45, was produced by Jack. Uh, not to be confused with Connie Muldoon, the classic character by Lori Beth Denberg. I'm Connie Muldoon! Hello, I'm Connie Muldoon! Yeah, what do you want, Connie? Well, I have a medium good soda here. Which... Uh, so the music video is really, really cool. As we started to mention sort of earlier, it centers around Conan O'Brien and the Conan O'Brien show. So this is uh, via Stripespedia. Conan O'Brien makes a cameo appearance in the video, as the White Stripes had previously been a week-long musical guest on Late Night with Conan O'Brien while promoting Elephant. The square-headed O'Brien doll in the video was a reference to a similar one given to the comedian at the end of their week-long stay on the show. The plaster blow-up was actually created by Gondry. Michael Gondry, yeah. Not Gandhi. So Mahat- Mahandas? Mahatma Gandhi uh, directed this. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so in the video, it's sort of this surreal, like the camera movements sort of fade in and fade out and there's a lot of warping going on and it's a surrealist telling of their time on conan and then leaving the conan show and going back to their hotel and watching themselves on conan it's very meta yeah it's a lot of push and pull and playing around with scale and time and assorted other like it, it's taking everything that should just be a normal a normal part of their life and really kind of 
expanding or contracting it. Warping it. Yeah, definitely. Um, So it's also a loop. The video itself is a loop of time because it starts on a performance and interview segment on Conan, in which case a giant foot crashes through the ceiling and they leave and then a sequence of events happens. And then at the end, the White Stripes are watching themselves on television and Meg smashes her foot through the TV and that's the foot from the beginning. And so it's this weird like loop. Yes. So it's actually, it's pretty cool uh, and definitely fitting with the kinds of ideas Gontry was putting forward for their music videos, definitely. Right. Um, right. So again, via Stripespedia, a foot comes crashing through the roof of Jack's piano in the beginning. At the end of the video, when Jack and Meg step in their apartment, Meg turns on the television, but it's not working. While Jack and Meg are trying to fix it, Meg tries to kick the television to get it working. While it appears Meg's foot is actually going through the television on top of Jack's piano. Uh, which would explain the beginning of the video. In other words, Michael Gondry is a brilliant man. <laughs> and uh, also, as we talked about last episode, James, Eddie Gillis, Jack's brother, is credited with tambourine and percussion uh, shakers. So mm. it's actually not Meg doing the shakers. That's Eddie. Oh, that's his brother. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's it's still uh, it's a nice a nice little departure. Yes. So that brings us to the next track, White Moon. We've talked about this song, I mean, ad nauseum. At least to each other, if not on the podcast, we've talked how much we adore this song. Oh, we love this thank song. You, thank you, Under Great White Northern Lights. Yeah, that Under Great White Northern Lights was the thing that did it. And, you know, I, not not to belabor the point we've talked about on the show before, but for those of you who didn't listen to those episodes, there's a very touching scene the film ends on in which Meg sort of crumbles into Jack's arms as he plays this on the piano. And as we would find out later, really is kind of about Meg. It's a beautiful piano ballad, one of a few on this album, but I would say at least lyrically the strongest, although on its surface was definitely deceptively skippable. If that makes any sense, like I didn't, yeah. I didn't really appreciate it. You have to really. This is the kind of song where you have to sort of invest in it a little bit because it's kind of on the long side. It's over four minutes. You have to really kind of understand it and its context before it starts to take shape. In my opinion, yeah, it's it's slow, it's low, and even the notes between you know between each note is there's like a pause, there's a breath between each note. You really got to kind of sit down with this song it's got dronish element i mean it kind of drones in places but it's also got sort of explosive drumming and a break every now and again so there is some contrast still i would equate this to say they're let it be yeah all right or they're long and winding road and i think i'm lumping it in with that era of beetle material ring the beetle bell mm-hmm. because we know it so well from under great white northern lights which was about their breakup so I guess I feel like Long and Winding Run was a little more pop heavy. And I mean, that might be because of, well, this isn't a Beatle. No, no, no. Anyway, <laughs> it, had, it had more commercial appeal than this thing. I, they would never put right. this out as a single, but I think it's one of Jack's finest songwriting moments. And uh, there's a weird reference to the bird is the word in here, which I kind of yeah. love. 
Um, so, all right, fine. Uh, and I love I love this little tidbit too. This is from Jack talking about the song. When we were recording White Moon, Meg's rack of bells fell over, and you can hear it in the background on the album. Nothing was working; everything was broken. So they actually, at a certain point in the song, you can hear this crash to the floor. I love that part too because you could tell that it's it adds to the effect of the song. Like this is bells yeah. toppling over, but it's it almost seems like Meg's just like bashing through her drums <laughs> over and. It's just like it's it's sad. It's like a little sad in a good way, not in a pathetic way, but in a this is touching and I'm emotionally invested enough to be sad over this yes. bell falling over. Yeah, I mean it it added to the theme of like their band crumbling or their lives crumbling around them while recording mm-hmm. this album. I promised I wouldn't leave her on. Uh that that's white. Which brings us to one of the few guitar rockers on this album. It's more of a blues song, obviously. Instinct Blues. Mm. Uh, on, honestly, not my favorite off this album and a little forgettable for me, but I do like this song regardless. But I always forget it's on this. Yeah, I mean, um, it's got a nice riff on it. Um, I like it a lot for different reasons it's very biting the lyrics are sort of like all these i mean well let's listen to a little bit of that So you can hear he's saying, like, well, the, the fly gets it. And, you know, all these big juggle cats get it. And he's basically saying, everybody gets me. Why don't you? You know, kind of thing. It's a lot of frustration in there, kind of biting. Um, yeah, it's a little aggressive. <laughs> it's definitely aggressive. Um, it's it's. I think it's Delta Blues inspired to a degree. It's memorable, for me at least, for the biting lyrics and, and the vicious condescending tone that kind of encapsulates how Jack White views people he hates. Sort of the proto-trash tongue talker a little bit. Mm. The only other thing I found about this song was that it was featured in Michael Gondry's 2006 film The Science of Sleep. Mm. I, I did not. Uh, Michael Gondry also having done Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It, it's interesting that he's super into, you know, dream stuff. And, uh, I don't know where this point's going. <laughs> okay, all right, fine. Well... That was a very passive response, James. Uh, which brings us... Look, the fly gets it. <laughs> Every, the big jungle cats get it. Michael Gondry gets it. <laughs> oh, um, James, the deer gets it. That brings us... Does Swag get it? Swag! Swag, do you get you it? That. Swag, do you get it? <laughs> What do you mean? Even the turkeys get it. (laughs) Does Dad James get it? Well, you see, Dad James gets most things. Uh, I get it, and you get it, but I'm still going to explain it to you anyway. I'll keep all that. 
Um, that that brings us, James, to the shortest white stripe song in history. Passive Manipulation, which clocks in at a cool 35 seconds. Very short. Um, But one of my, I I, I say this unironically, one of my favorites, um, because it is a Meg song written by Jack that is sort of in and out and just kind of gets right to the point, doesn't it? And you know what? Jack and Meg have have a lot of history with short songs, uh, if you'll recall. They have the Guinness record for shortest concert uh, in existence they play one note in canada yeah. and then leave that's that was great yeah they had a whole crowd there who was super disappointed <laughs> no i think they knew they had the guinness book of world records there too but anyway that's another show oh dear oh, jack you're crazy a meg centric tune here meg is credited with vocals and triangle it's almost like a commercial jingle it's really memorable because it's got a strong vocal performance from meg and in my opinion, like, listening to them at the time, it always seemed to me like sort of the follow-up to Cold Cold Night. Mm-hmm. And we didn't actually get a Meg-centric song, aside from her mumbling and whatnot, on Icky Thump after this. So that's really the last uh, Meg lead vocal. Yeah, I kind of always considered the battle. this battle's in the air kind of that. But this is the this and Cold Cold Night are really the only two Meg vocal songs they ever did. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. In the traditional sense. The lyrics very short. In fact, we have time to play the whole song here, but the, the lyrics are, women, listen to your mothers. Don't just succumb to the wishes of your brothers. Take a step back. Take a look at one another. You need to know the difference between a father and a lover. Women, listen to your mothers. Don't just succumb to the wishes of your brothers. Take a step back. Take a look at one another. You need to know the difference between a father and a lover. Women, listen to your mothers. Don't just succumb to the of your brothers take a step back take a look at one another you need to know the difference between a father and a lover women listen to your mothers don't just succumb to the wishes of your brothers take a step back take a look at one another you need to know the difference via the fresh air interview jack wrote this song quote in a woman's voice he wrote it and realized he'd never be able to get away with singing it so he gave it to meg and asked if she'd be okay with singing it and you know what? God bless him for doing that, too, because there's a lot of people who, who try to say things that, yeah, they, they probably shouldn't be the ones who are saying. Yeah. I mean, the nurse shouldn't so. be the one to put salt in your wound, but... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack, quote, had a feeling in my head about the truth of relationships. It became... Oh, I'll do this in my Jackson. It became a question of when people are together. Sometimes it doesn't seem true. There's a certain amount of manipulation going on. Where would that good advice come from? Mothers. Okay. <laughs> Jack, you wacko. <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> so from there we go to, I think, another one. I'd put this up there with Denial Twist as sort of the stronger Jack tracks on the album. But Take, Take, Take is the next song. And this one is a story song centering around Rita Hayworth, which we sort of covered last episode. But it is a fictional account of Jack meeting her at a restaurant or a bar. As we mentioned... Rita was somebody who didn't care for celebrity, uh, didn't enjoy looking at photographs of herself. And I guess the actual crux of this song, you know, when the fictional character of Jack White meeting Rita Hayworth gets the autograph and it's just a lipstick smudge from a kiss and underneath it says, my heart is in my mouth. I guess that is a real thing that happened, Jack is referencing. Rita Hayworth there in a place so 
Jack really talking about his fame in a song. The second being, it's my fault for being famous. And I kind of, I group these together in my head because uh, they're both, you know, a little passive aggressive. There's a little passive manipulation, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Basically just saying, you know, you're never happy with what you have in the grass. Like, I always want more, 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 more. I feel like he feels like he's being sucked dry by the fandom, whether it be his artistry or his persona or his personal life you know yeah and i never took it as an aggressive jab at fans i always took it as an aggressive jab more at the kind of vultures that circle famous people like photographers and that kind of thing and podcasters who <laughs> reach out for interviews for with really no credential or reason to do so call us back but i mean we could we could talk about the lyrics all day but honestly the lyrics are in this song and that would all that i needed it is Anne as the nose on plain face listening to this song you can just i mean it's all there there's not even any like subtlety to the message it's just very clearly him placing her Oh, it's so cute. She sometimes takes a little pack of mayonnaise and she'll squirt it in her mouth all over, and then she'll take an egg and kind of... <laughs> she calls it a mayonnaise. <laughs> Are you okay? I don't feel so good. You know that Eminem song, Stan, where Eminem writes the song to himself in the voice of an obsessed fan kind of thing? I would almost put them yeah. in similar sort of veins. He's another one that kind of talks a lot about this and is famously uncomfortable with fame and it's just it's funny that they both sort of came out of detroit maybe that's just a blue collar thing coming out of there i guess detroit's a a tight-knit community of a lot of musicians that kind of stay local yeah uh, currently and they're standout-ish in the classical tradition of iggy pop and motown groups getting out of there so sure Sure. Diffuser called this an examination of entitlement and celebrity. From there, we move on to sort of another ballad on the album, although it's not piano centric, As Ugly As I Seem. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah, uh, not my favorite, but I like it. It is uh, one of a quadrilogy of ballads, really. It's an introspective one. The song sort of exemplifies Jack's insecurities and depression, I think. Yeah, I can see that. Even the song's title, which is said often in the song, uh, is very introspective, as you said, looking in and criticizing one's own self. Yeah, I mean, along with uh, Take, 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 I mean, the lyrics are right there. I mean, there's some room for interpretation, but it's pretty clear what he's talking about. And often when Jack writes in these characters, sometimes it can get a little abstract, but there's not a lot of ex- abstraction really going on here, mm-hmm. at least on some of the tracks in this record. Meg is credited with the bongos on this one, and Jack and Meg played this song on Charlie Rose on PBS. <laughs> Which is a great interview, and it's on YouTube. Totally worth watching. Really, really cool. The Diffuser called this one about self-loathing, which is 
Another accurate assessment. Which brings us, James, to Red Rain. Hey, that Red Red Rain. Yes. So, yeah. It, this one's kind of a kooky one. I, I don't know if I like this one. When I first heard the record, just because I wasn't sure what... It's uh, avant-garde, and it's got that weird sort of slithering guitar that leads you into it, and a lot of the nurse-style bursts happening throughout it. To me, it's it's a little forgettable, but it's it's also kind of a cool, moody guitar rant from Jack. Apparently also a Peter Gabriel song. Yeah. <laughs> Not this one, but there's a Peter Gabriel song called Red Rain. Oh. Which I actually found because I was looking up the significance of red rain as a, as a symbol. It's usually symbolic of blood, which is not really anything surprising. But there's something called blood rain, which is red precipitation that resembles blood. That mm-hmm. also happens, apparently. It is a, a phenomenon observed sporadically during the summers in southern India. So every once in a while it rains blood in southern India and it's called red rain. Ooh. Not to change the subject too much, but there is an awesome version of this live from KCRW oh, that cool. they often oft visit. Ooh, they do a whole set of Get Behind Me Satan stuff, Denial Twist, Instinct Blues, all that stuff. Uh, but they also do Red Rain. They do really good live versions of this song. Nice. It was also performed live on Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, again, from Diffuser, I just sort of, they had some interesting quotes about this album, but Red Rain is about targeted dishonesty. These were his most vulnerable songs, and the fact that Satan was composed and recorded in a two-week frenzy of activity in White's own house seems to suggest that those were all instantly accessible emotions at the tip of his brain. The conspicuous, for White, lack of cover songs also feeds his theme. They were all his words unfiltered, which is true. Usually Jack White albums, in fact, I would probably say most Uh, Anyway, uh, not often uh, do we get an album with no cover songs. And that brings us to the last track on this record, I'm Lonely But I Ain't That Lonely Yet. It is the last of the ballads Mm -hmm. here, and it's another introspective number, but this time I feel like there's there's kind of like a hopeful and sort of nostalgic quality to it as opposed to the despair. I think he probably wanted to leave some of the sadness on this album with something at least that had a little bit of positivity on the back end Mm -hmm. yeah this is the one i always confuse with white moon because of how poignant the lyrics are but it does sound more hopeful even if it's just in the voice yeah i mean it's it's great you can tell i mean a lot of it's about meg and that's not guessing that's just he says it and i love my sister lord knows how i missed her she loves me and she knows i won't forget and sometimes i get jealous of our little pets but I get lonely. I'm lonely. But I ain't that lonely yet. I always picture him singing this on like a swing set in the fall time. Like yeah. I don't know why. Like a Pete and Pete kind of vibe. Right.
and the Fresh Air interview, he said uh, it was a joke he made with Loretta Lynn on the phone about Meg. He said, yeah, I get lonely. And Loretta said, yeah, but I ain't that lonely yet. Jack asked if he could have it as a title. He wrote the song after he got off the phone with Loretta. So, James, I never knew that this song was an in-joke between Jack and Loretta Lynn. I feel like I, I did hear it in the Loretta Lynn DVD uh, for the Vault package. Ah, that came with, yes. Ah, I wish I was a subscriber to the Vault when that was out, because I love Van Lee Rose, and that DVD was really cool that you showed me. And like you said, Get Behind Me Satan and Van Lee Rose are two of Jack's closest projects to his heart. Yes, yes, yes. Certainly at the time, I would imagine also to this day. Mm-hmm. Although I have to wonder if he looks back at this album and goes, I don't know if I want to remember that. I feel like he does. I mean, he just re-released it, so. True. So the the other thing about this song, Jack said, uh, after he recorded it, it, he felt like it belonged at the end of the album. And rightfully so. It is a good album closer. Mm -hmm. It ends on a positive note. Yes. Or at least on a more hopeful note. Indeed. And so that, James, is the track, 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 track. Track, 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 track. Okay. So we talked about cover art a little bit last episode, but there are a couple other little items here, and and this I found via Stripespedia. So uh, we talked about Art Hole having designed this thing. Mm. There's a cool segment I found here. Although Ben Blackwell has stated in the past that no one has yet correctly identified the object Jack is holding on the cover of Get Behind Me, Satan, it has been suggested that the object is most likely a Tesla bulb of some sort. In the liner notes of the album, Jack writes, under my arm is a device with conductivity and I give it to you. In addition, visual evidence exists to prove this. Compare a picture of a Tesla coil on the cover of the album. I know we went through and tried to figure out what that was last time and we came up empty-handed, but there seems to be some suggestion that is a Tesla bulb of some kind. I guess. I can't find any Tesla bulbs that look like it on the internet, but hey, I, I really wasn't looking terribly hard. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, we, we half-heartedly researched that one. <laughs> Cal- Callie, um, let us know. Does this album have, like, any of his poetry liner notes? Oh. <laughs> on the inside of the cover, we find an inscription um, from Mr. Jack John Gillis. There was once a story I wanted to tell, but I assumed it was one you all knew too well. Maybe I was wrong, was wondering how clear we were going to say it, how to keep us all interested enough to not drift off and start fantasizing about romantic things. But then again, what about those things in books and in movies? Are they real? Does anybody care? You ride the bus, don't you? (laughs) Ain't nobody ever bumped into you before? Was it an accident? A lot of questions. Rhett and Scarlet, what they are? Can't be true love, but there are others. Unrequited is a word, too. It's in the dictionary. After truth, I believe. Everyday life, some others, I guess, look at as romantic. But what about us people? Are those elements impossible for us to experience? Do you know and welcome the idea of true love staging destiny missing scene? hope for internal completion everyone's talking about their hurt and their rage on the radio and the armchair judge is the family bible in prime time today what reality is fake then drama is superficial and not admired the judge and the apology is shallow love is put aside i think there is one truth with no subjectivity and in the corner is a booth with some productivity james yes 
we don't have to read all of this if you don't want to. Um, the uh, <laughs> punctuation, deplorable. Need I go on, sir? I will read the rest of this whole thing. I love the the top of the next stanza. Where's a Starbucks when you need one? <laughs> Evil can be funny. Righteousness is a barrel of laughs. I mean, it's cool. Whatever, you know, it's fine. I mean, it kind of feeds into what we've been talking about here. Yeah, no, it's it seems to be 100% on point with what the idea of the album is. It's a lot of love, heartache, a little passive aggression towards modern society and entitled fans with the armchair judge line in there. Sure. We're both looking at our, our copies of the Get Behind Me Satan LP that were re-released in 2015, which, worth noting, has a pretty cool lenticular. A lenticular effect here where the image fades back and forth between Jack and Meg in the position and between what looks to be a fellow of Mexican descent and a lady of African-American descent in the same position. And you can actually see the object that Jack is holding much more clearly on the version that is not Jack and Meg. It does appear to be a bulb of some kind, so not sure there. Yeah. Also, as the back cover, there is something with that back cover. There was some drama with that. It was taken by David Swanson, I believe. Yeah, he did the. He shot that image. So this cover, this back cover to the 2015 re-release here, as James mentions, features a what looks to be sort of a 50s-style rock and roll uh, situation. Jack is sort of in the midst of here. He's sort of clutching a microphone and doing an Elvis-like pose as uh, as two women, both in sort of country western style uh, get-ups, play drums and guitar behind him uh, with a Virgin Mary statue on the amp. So there is a photo of Meg doing this same thing, dressed up in a similar way, I guess that was taken during the same time frame. Uh, I believe this was on the original release of the LP. Oh, on the uh, promotional. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, What's funny, though, is that the original photograph with Meg... All of the genders are swapped. All the genders, including are yep. including Mary, isn't Mary, but a Jesus statue. <laughs> and I believe that's Rita, Rita Hayworth, Hayworth on the drum head. Yeah, and then the guitarist and the drummer are uh, both men as well. Yeah, both wearing the same outfit as the girls, though. So there's a record store day video also that you can see on the Third Man website that actually shows the photo being taken, but in full color. So, although you can't see it on the back cover because it's in black and white, Jack is wearing an all-red suit, and the walls are all yellow, and the uh, the sort of cowboy girls are in blue cowboy getup, as was Meg. Meg was also in that same color. Really? Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and play that for you here, but it's I don't terrifying. know what you're watching, so... It's the Record Store Day promo that Third Man Records put out for this thing. It's 36 seconds, but it just shows Jack getting that photo taken and also shows the original 2005 photo shoot. Oh, never mind. It's not Jesus in the background. That is Mary in the background. It was just blurry. So that talks a little bit more about the cover art. Uh, <laughs> this is sort of a weird... You know what, James? Um, 
Uh, I've really got, I'd say out of all Jack's White Stripes albums, if I had to pick one, um, I would pick, I would pick this one as my favorite. And I would also have other things I would pick, a guitar pick. I might even have a bone to pick with, oh. with you. Uh, you know, I mean, I you, if you have a bone to pick with me, Paul, stop ragging on me and just tell me already. I got a ragging bone. Get worse every time. Really bad. So, James, a ragging bone. Tell us what that is for the people. You know, they should understand it. All right, they're all your pretty little rags and bones that we've gathered up. We've taken these things that, uh, these facts that we find when we're going through and researching. Uh, normally, they wouldn't have a home, but we're giving them a home. No home at all. These rags and bones. These, the crazy, the funny, the strange, the unusual. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together. Schmoopy? Schmoopy. Hey, Schmoopy. The rag and bone. Ba-da-da-da. Meg. <laughs> this week's Rag and Bone uh, has to do with the album cover of Get Behind Me, Satan. James, did you know that the album cover of Get Behind Me, Satan Go on. was used in the Gilmore Girls episode, quote, I get a sidekick out of you, with Lane and Zach in Meg and Jack's positions, respectively? <laughs> what? <laughs> Excuse me? It's crazy. Wow, was that a wedding cake? Is that what that is? What? Like, is the image, like, on a wedding cake? I don't know. I I mean, it's on a a table. Yeah. I believe it's on a cake. It's also photoshopped onto there. (laughs) So you can also see, I guess, in this episode, that character that appears in the Meg position is is playing drums wearing all white and playing a red drum kit as well in this episode. I don't really know anything about the Gilmore Girls, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of funky, you know? Yeah. No, that's bizarre. Kiko Lane Agina. Yeah, okay, yeah, so she's in her wedding dress, so this was definitely at a wedding, but she's in all white playing this red kit here, and so an obvious reference to Meg, and it looks like that's actually Jack and Meg's bodies, and the faces are just poorly photoshopped onto them. Oh, yes, they are. Somebody on this show must have been a big Stripes fan. First of all, it's a weird album of the Jack White catalog to reference, first of all. I guess it came out not long after that album anyway, so it would have been that last release. Anyway, that's probably the one and only connection between Jack White and the Gilmore Girls, and that kind of, uh, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely rag and bone worthy. There's also, it was used for the 2008 Ozzy and Millie calendar as both the front cover and for the month of January with the characters Ozzy and Millie uh, replacing Jack and Meg, and I am going to look up what the fuck Ozzy and <laughs> Millie is, a uh, webcomic, it seems. But yeah, you know, so that's it's pretty cool, you know. It's getting some crossover, uh, you know, references and other media. Pretty neat. Yeah. What a weird thing. I'm still on the Gilmore Girls, Paul. I'm still. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this is bizarre. It was their band, Hep Alien. I've heard the Gilmore Girls is actually quite good. I'm sure it's fine. Um, who's the Who's that director? Uh, Michael Gondry. <laughs> <laughs> famous for his Gilmore Girls work. He's the guy who did the newsroom TV show. Aaron Sorkin. Ah, yes. Yeah. He writes a lot of fast-talking shows. 
They always talk very fast. My buddy at work, uh, Andrew, loves the Gilmore Girls and has just started watching it, and I've gotten to hear all about the Gilmore Girls from said Andrew. Well, this has been a an interesting tangent into <laughs> into Aaron <laughs> Sorkin. Um, I, 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 <laughs> all of those pretty... <laughs> pretty little rags and bones. Well, man, look oh. at all this. You don't want it. All of that usable, that usable audio. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so let's get into a little reception here, James. Let's have a reception like that uh, hep alien band <laughs> had in the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, so chart position. The album itself went to number three in the U.S. and U.K., which is pretty good kind of on the high side for jack white albums that's exactly where he wanted it to be though think about it he would want it to be number three an appropriate chart position (laughs) right um you know i have to believe a lot of that is not necessarily people being like yeah the marimba and it's more like people who are like i liked seven nation army i'm gonna buy the Mm follow-up there was enough singles on here i feel like to kind of maintain interest my doorbell did honestly have a lot of airplay and as we talked about earlier jack johnson sort of covered it and so it got airplay on that as well we have you know it entering the charts at number three and it ranked higher in u.s charts than previous records but lower in the uk than elephant Hmm. so it actually had it was sort of disproportionate that way the blue orchid single in the u.s charted at number 43 so not an awesome showing but charted at number nine in the uk and was number one in canada which we uh which we talked about last episode Hmm. It was a radio hit in the U.S. and the band's second U.K. top 10 hit. My Doorbell was a top 10 hit in the U.K. as was Denial Twist. I don't think they sort of did too much in the sort of pop sense out here. But, you know, you can see if a rocker like Blue Orchid is only hitting 43, mm, is interest waning? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Steady As She Goes would be out not too long after that, and that would chart much higher. So I would say Jack is still a hit maker at this point of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe... but. You know, maybe not with the same sort of fervor that the previous two records got him. As of February 2007, Get Behind Me, Satan sold 850,000 units in the United States. That is nothing to sneeze at. That's almost a million records. And I I bet you, with all the re-releases and with uh, a decade having passed since February of 2007, I bet you it's it's past a million. That's awesome. A million people were like, yeah, the nurse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and one out of those million turned out to be Mike Josias. Mike Josias. <laughs> Freshly minted father, Mike Josias. Uh, but I it's always with care that the nurse delivers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rolling Stone ranked this album as their third best album of that year. Rolling Stone's top album of that year. Kanye West's late registration. All right. Yeah, that's a good album. Number two comes the Rolling Stone's A Bigger Bang. Okay. I mean, sure. According to this, Bob Dylan's The Bootleg Series Volume 7, No Direction Home, the soundtrack um, was number three. And actually, uh, Get Behind Me, Satan came in at number four, followed by Bruce Springsteen's Devil and Dust. Oh, okay. uh, Devils and Dust, uh, that, which is an okay album. Yeah. Um, it, I like the title track of Devils and Dust, but it's a sort of slow plotting acoustic album. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was hard to follow the rising, and this is what we got. Yeah. 
We have Mary J. Blige, Eminem's Curtain Call, another Rolling Stones Rarities album, Neil Diamond and Kate Bush uh, rounding out the top 10 there. So that's a little bit of a snapshot of 2005. Mm-hmm. Hey, McCartney, Chaos and Creation came in at number 14. Jack, Jackie beat, Jackie boy beat, beat old Macca pants. <laughs> he beetle him. It received a Grammy for Best Alternative Music Album in 2006, so another Grammy win for Jack. Awesome. Really cool. Again, from, from Rolling Stone here, there was, a, there was an interesting quote from the Album of the Year thing. Satan is also their boldest record, combining the Stripes' whiplash rock and Jack's passion for vintage blues and country music with a gothic roadhouse tension scored with grand piano and marimba. Jack White's red, white, and black-themed outfits remain, but their albums have exploded loaded into full color. Hmm. I think that's an accurate assessment. This one and Icky Thump are really the two albums that stand apart from the rest of the White Stripes albums as branching out. DeStyle kind of gets there, but ultimately not not in the way that these two albums do. Mm-hmm. In 2006, the album was included in the 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die book, edited by uh, Robert Dimery, which actually had from uh, Stephen Mercier. Huh. The New York Times said, It's an album so strong and so unexpected that it may change the way people hear all its predecessors. And that's just a start. Listen long enough, and this album might change the way you hear lots of other bands, too. All right. That's a, yeah, that's a strong opinion on that, too. Yeah, from the New York Times. I mean, it's not, it's not bad. And then Pitchfork said, Even with a generous handful of tracks that easily rank alongside the White Stripes' best work, Get Behind Me Satan remains a confounding record, one that wears its transitional album tag like a heavy peppermint-striped crown. Oof. So not everyone was on board with the new direction, which I think is also something we want to emphasize here. Not everyone was like, oh, cool. You know, a lot of people were expecting, expecting, expecting what came before. And that is definitely not what we got here, except for Blue Orchid being the sort of anomaly song. Mm. And that's the reception, James. Paul, I think I think we should maybe perhaps rank this album. Ooh, let's rate it, James. So if you guys don't know, we, we like to, at the end of these album review and analysis episodes, rate them with our own personal nonsensical kind of scale. Nonsensical being the operative word there. <laughs> no sense no sense at all. So in, instead of rating it out of five stars or ten stars or something like that, we decided to rate it out of three, but not stars, men. Because, you know, Jack White. <laughs> yes. um, uh, because we figured we like all of these albums. If we rate them out of 10 or 5, they're always going to be like 7 stars out of 10 or, you know, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. we decided to go out of 3. 1 being we like it, 2 men being we love it, and 3 men being we've got to have it. Paul, I will make this Cold Stone Creamery <laughs> thing work. We're, we're looking for sponsors. <laughs> but please, no no sponsors. We can't monetize this. Yeah. No. No, we're not monetizing no. this. Cold, no, no, Cold no. Stone Creamery, be, be gone with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is our attempt to neg Cold Stone Creamery. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's our rating scale. <laughs> that is our rating scale, James. And since I handled the bulk on this episode, why don't we go ahead and have you rate it first? All right. Give us a little background. Give us your assessment of the album and then give us a rating. Okay. Admittedly, this album I bought fresh. I bought new when it came out. I was excited for it. I'd become a jackhead at this point. Yeah, real jackhead. <laughs> Sounds awful. But, you know, I listened to it. I liked it. I remember clearly before buying it, you had actually, uh, you being Paul, had actually uh, <laughs> given me uh, early 
access to your copy of it. And I listened to it, and I liked it. I didn't love it at the time. I liked my doorbell. I liked Blue Orchid, and that was it. I was on the... I was in the mainstream kick of this, you know, I was, in, I was like the people who wanted more of Elephant. Uh, so at the time I didn't like it. Over time though, I grew, my musical tastes broadened. I became more in tune with Jack's work and with his sensibilities and his philosophies and his overall musical sense. And I, I began to like blues more. I began to like lots of things more. And this album became more special to me as time grew on. As we mentioned several times in the first episode of this and this episode, Under Great White Northern Lights definitely helped me become aware of how great this album actually is. So I would say this album, for me, ranks 2.5. Oh, 2.5. That's pretty high, yes. actually. Yeah, It's one of my favorite Jack White albums, uh, uh, only below uh, Consolers of the Lonely and Icky Thump. Wow. Well, that's really awesome. So this one for me, we've talked about it a lot. It's my favorite White Stripes album. It's possibly my favorite album of all time. And I don't know how to say this other than the ways I've said it before, but I think Jack was ahead of his time here. I think he was ahead of the curve. I think a lot of people in the music crowd particularly listen to this record and it might have influenced a lot of his generation of bands to diversify a, a little bit the kinds of music that they were putting out. You could call it a transitional album, and you know, I I think I actually would, but in a in a really good way because for me, this was the transition from Jack Jack's little room to the world stage a little bit. From here, things kind of got broader. I think I feel like he opened his musical arsenal up much more with this record uh, in, a, in a really good way. And so I feel like this album is what is what gave us Icky Thump and it's what gave us the racks and the weather. And, you know, it allowed him that kind of um, freedom to break from the norm. And I also think it's really beautiful. I think the lyrics are extraordinarily uh, heartfelt and really summarize particularly teenage angst really well or sort of that high schooly kind of young man kind of kind of angst and that's i don't say that to downplay it i say that to emphasize it and to say that there's you know you have to you have to make that kind of music too and like we talked about on the would you fight for my love episode led zeppelin famously did this a bunch you hear songs like your time is going to come and a couple others that have that breakup tone to it and that's a feel that's a valid emotional feeling everyone can relate to so anyway i find this album highly relatable i i find it uh its melodies lovely and it's and its lyrics beautiful and i give this one a three out of three men to the surprise of no one <laughs> fanfare fanfare confetti <laughs> drops <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh it's 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 my favorite album uh and and i love it and and don't get me wrong like i love the other white stripes albums too but i just think this one is is uh is really unique so yeah. three out of three men hey pretty good right 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 and now we're gonna kick it to our third woman for this week hey Okay, and welcome to our third woman for this week, Adrian King. Adrian, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Long-time listener, third fan. <laughs> How's it going? Good. I'm really I'm so excited that you guys want to hear my story. So I am willing to tell anybody that'll listen. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Over so, and over again. <laughs> we, we are enthusiastically awaiting any third man stories that we get wind of. So, Absolutely. And first of all, thank you so much for the support of the show. You've been there since the beginning, and we really, really appreciate it. It means the world to us. So thank you for that first. Oh, you guys are so nice. I'm glad to, to lend the support, and you're hilarious, and I look forward to the show every week. I'm not kidding about that. So. Aw, well, thank you. Thank you very much. We've been learning a lot, actually, about the different fan communities. At least I have. I think James is a little more connected than I was going into this. But do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the Jack White fan community and the different kind of communities you're a part of, that kind of thing? Sure. Let's see. Well, I was always a casual fan, um, like through the late 90s, early 2000s. But just like a lot of the stories start, I really got excited about fell in love with a girl the video was awesome so that um was probably what sparked my more than casualness of the stripes i guess um and i i wasn't really into like the fandom part of it until under great white northern lights was when i just was blown away that's when I really started getting into wanting to get a new record player. I had one in high school, and um, when I moved, it got thrown away, and I didn't have one for a few years. And then when you know Jack started like reviving things with vinyl, and I started to get more excited, and I started to really want to delve into more of what the Stripes were about... I don't know. I was just fascinated by it. it was just the two of them making all that noise. So yeah. when the movie came out, I got really excited. And then I just kind of, I don't know, it blew up from there. I can't really pinpoint exactly what happened or what it was, but I was obsessed. All of a sudden I went down that rabbit hole that everybody talks about. Yeah. And I followed a couple of girls on Instagram and then one of them said something about the third man record collectors. And so I joined that group and I think that was about three years ago. So... Um, just from watching people post stuff there and just, I was, that's been the most dangerous part for me is that collector's group because I, I wasn't an avid collector. Like I, I tried to collect a little bit, but it's become more hoarding now than (laughs) collecting. I can relate. Like Uh, I said, I I have more than one shrine here in the house. I mean, I have like three bookcases full. I have stuff in my quote dressing room um i have dolls pictures posters pins i'm a big pin collector Mm because they're small and you know um i can't get bitched at for them taking up too much room so (laughs) i've had to put like uh, artificial caps myself on the collecting because my as my wife very correctly pointed out there's only so much room for these records in the house so I try and keep it to one a week, but the problem is James buried me in vinyl for Christmas, so I haven't been able to buy anything for a while because <laughs> I'm trying to like make it spaced out to be what it would be. In the anyway, it's a it's a real. <laughs> I was at a record store one time. And I was like, hey, yeah, you know, I, I've really got a problem. You know, I'm I'm here all the time. I'm buying all this stuff, and he's like, ah, it's a harmless addiction. I was like, is it though? Because I got all this shit all over the house. <laughs> The one thing I will say is a uh, an intervention of sorts is watching – there's a scene in American Splendor where Harvey Picar is going through his record collection and it is taking up his entire house and there's just boxes like falling on it. Like it's, it's terrifying. <laughs> this record collecting is driving me nuts. It's taking all of my time and money. No matter how many records I get, I'm never going to be satisfied. What am I going to do? This is like being a junkie. 
<laughs> oh, also, I wanted to mention, um, I joined the vault at, I think Jack White and the Bricks was my first one. Oh, wow, pretty early. And then nice. I played catch-up uh, from then on, like, uh, last summer, I was really into heavy collecting, so catching up with all the vaults. There's not a lot of stuff that comes up now that I need, um, mm-hmm. but I'm still looking for Ikimono at a killer price, man. That's what I was going to say. Do you have the Ikimono, <laughs> though? No, uh, I... We talked to Kate McCoy the other the other day, and she brought that one out for display, right, James? Yes, yeah, she, yeah. she had that one. We were very jealous, to say the least. <laughs> But if only just for the alternate recordings, but, you know. Yes. Yeah. I and, and I would just want to go over to somebody's house that has it and listen to it someday just because yeah. I want to hear what it sounds like. And I have a friend, her name is Rebecca in New York, and she has been collecting since Ikimono, since the very mm-hmm. first one. And she's not a hardcore collector. She just gets every vault and she doesn't even know sometimes what's in it or what songs are on it. She just has been there since the beginning. And um, she's so sweet. She offered to send me whatever vaults I didn't have to oh. listen to and then return them to her. Oh, wow. And yeah. And then when this was before I knew how much Ikimano was worth. And I was like, I don't know if I want to take that <laughs> all the way from New York, listen to it and then send it all the way back. It just a few people, especially in the group that have been so kind and everybody's it, it was a long time ago. Everybody was really looking to help each other collect it, but it's gotten it's gotten so big. Yeah. it's hard to keep up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So. Good on your friend, by the way, for not simply ripping the songs and just sending them to you, but actually mailing you the vaults. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere Jack appreciates that. Well, that's part of the whole experience for me. I like to look at the album art. I like to yeah. l- l- read along with the l- lyrics, as nerdy as that sounds. But I enjoy that part. Yeah. Yes, I do the same exact thing. It's the it's part of why I how I justify vinyl to people. Like it's part of a tangible experience you're having with the music. Like if I'm putting on songs on my iTunes or whatever on a shuffle, I'm not really thinking about what I'm putting on. It's just background noise. I'm not interacting with it. Mm-hmm. And with vinyl, you have to think about what you want to listen to. You have to put it on the turntable. You only get a set amount of time with that. You actually have to flip it. You're engaged in what's happening. So it's a different way of enjoying the music. And that might sound kind of esoteric and sort of hipster and dumb, but I I legitimately (laughs) find it engaging. Like I used to, like when I was a kid, I'd be sitting on my bedroom floor listening to Beatle albums or whatever it was, and that's all I was doing. But... You know, as you get older and you get more busy, then suddenly music just becomes a background thing. So to push it to the fore again has been really helpful for me. And it's Mm -hmm. been very nice uh, not to look at single artwork anymore and instead look at a giant (laughs) 12-inch. Yeah, James and I accidentally offended everyone who likes cassette tapes last episode. (laughs) And I felt really bad because I just bought a car, like a used car, right after that, which has a tape deck in it. So I had to drag out all of my, my cassettes, which I had three that weren't kids' music like left. They were... yeah, And two singles, so my yeah. library's pretty sparse. Well, I do have the GNR Lies cassette, if you want to borrow that. Okay. <laughs> I would be very afraid that my car would eat it somehow. Yeah. It's already taken the life of one McCartney album, so... Oh, oh no. Well, I have a bunch of old audio of James and I doing like little shows and stuff for my parents when we were really little kids. So uh, hopefully a, our tape deck won't devour those and I can truly <laughs> embarrass James with them on the show sometime. 
I wait for that day. <laughs> so you join us today. You, you had a story you wanted to share with us. We give you the floor. Please share with us the story. Okay. It was way back on April 22nd, 2015. <laughs> Setting the stage. No. Um, so I had just moved to Portland probably two weeks before that from California. And I had met through uh, Third Man Records collectors, Dana Ban, who is in, she's not very active anymore, but she's still in the group. And Robbie Bucknam, shout out to Robbie. He's one of my best friends in the collector community. He's pretty awesome. And I went to my very first record store day at my favorite record store, Jackpot Records in Portland. Mm-hmm. And we hit it off. It was my first time meeting them in person. They were awesome. And we like agreed to hang out again, blah, blah, blah. And then a couple days later, all of the acoustic type of shows were being announced. It was the end of the Lazaretto tour. And they were just going to do those five surprise shows. Nobody knew where they were going to be. And people were speculating of what states Jack hadn't been to. And we kind of figured out that maybe... Idaho was going to be one because we couldn't think of any time that he had been there with the White Stripes or Dead Weather Reconteurs. You know, I don't know if he'd been there with them before, but he certainly hadn't been there with the Stripes. And Dana says to me, what if they come to Boise or somewhere that's kind of close? Would you want to go? And I was like, why not? I just moved here. I didn't have a job yet. I had nothing better to do. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we made a plan to, you know, that uh, there was some like loose announcement saying that they were going to say what state was next, like that morning at six o'clock. I think I don't remember exactly what time. And I was just going to sit in my car, and we were going to wait for the announcement, and she was going to say, "Okay, it's go time or not." So. Six o'clock, we got the announcement, and she said, it's Boise. And I said, let's go. And I hopped in my car, and she was about 20 minutes from me. It was going to take us seven hours to get there from Portland. 12 o'clock was the time that the tickets were supposed to go on sale, and they were $3 each. And, uh, you know, it was only one per person. You had to be there, and you had to show ID and all of that stuff. So we thought, well, if we leave at 6, we'll probably get there around 12 or 1230. And Dana had... A lead foot. Let me tell you, we got there so <laughs> fast. We were starting to see a line form. I believe it was the Egyptian. So we get there and we're hearing people whispering that the tickets are already sold out. Ugh. I said, we're not getting out of line. I want to make sure that they're really sold out. You know, I'm not going to lose our place in line if it happens to be just a rumor or whatever. There was probably like, I don't know, a hundred people in line already. And this theater was really small. Mm -hmm. So we're waiting. And then finally, everybody in front of us starts getting out of line. They're like, they're sold out. There's no way, you know, the the theater's full. We're going home. So Dana and I look at each other and we're like, what are we going to do? And we said, well, we could wait and see if they release any tickets like before the show starts of any vault members that didn't show up because any members in Boise were automatically given a ticket. Nice. And, yeah, so we thought, well, if anybody doesn't show up that, you know, is from Boise, maybe they'll release their tickets at the last minute. We drove all that way. We didn't really have much else to do. So we got in line with the people at the front of the line, just 
you know, across from them and we told them how far we had driven and they were all rooting for us saying, just hold out hope. I think something really great's going <laughs> to happen. Just, you know, hang in there. We're like, all right. So we sat there and it was, you know, early afternoon. I mean, it was a long time before the show was going to start. And we camped out with our chairs and we're chatting with people. And earlier I had noticed that there was a tour bus. And I thought, well, it can't be anybody else but their <laughs> tour bus, you know. Yeah. What are the chances? So we're sitting there and I see somebody get out of the tour bus and they're walking. And I look and I go, I think that's Lalo. Lalo Medina, their tour manager. Uh-huh. Gotcha. And I said to, to Dana, I said, I think that's Lalo. And she's like, who's Lalo? And I had been following them for so long that I knew who Lalo was <laughs> and how he's very prominent in the White Stripes' early career. So I said, I'm going to go say hi to him. She's like, you're what? And I go, I'm just going to go <laughs> say hi. And I didn't really have any intentions but to say hi to the guy and tell him how awesome I thought he was and how great he was for the Stripes career. And I don't know. I don't know what I was going to say to him. So I started walking after him and he's got his little bowler hat and his little bow tie. He's all dressed up. And I said, hey, Lalo. And he turns around and he waves to me. And I said, hey, Lalo. And he stops and I walk closer to him and I go, I just want to tell you how awesome I think you are. I said, I really love what you did for the White Stripes as their manager. And I said, my friend and I drove all the way from Portland this morning. And he goes, did you get tickets? And I go, no, they were sold out by the time we got here. We we just weren't quick enough. And he goes, hang on a second. And he goes into the bus and he he comes out with a piece of paper and a pencil. And he says, what's your name? And I go, Adrian King. And he goes, you're in tonight with a plus one. Oh. And it was like, <laughs> what? Like, I couldn't believe it. And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you're in, you know, thanks for coming, whatever. And there's a kid sitting at the bus stop right behind me. And he goes, hey, I want a ticket. Can I come tonight too? And he's like, no, man, this gal knew my name. It's like, get in line. Uh, so... Yeah, so I go, so he heads back. You knowing all that stuff paid off. So he heads back to the bus, and I go, how am I going to know that I'm in? He goes, you're on the list. And I go, are you sure? He goes, yes, I'm sure. And I was like, okay, because I was completely skeptical. So I run back to Dana, and I'm like, we're in. We're hugging and everybody in line is cheering for us. And they're like, we knew something great was going to happen. This is so awesome. So we get in line and I go to get our tickets. And there I was. My name was on the list. And we got our wristbands and we saw the most incredible show of our lives in that theater. It was amazing. That's awesome. So that was the full, that was that full acoustic set. So uh, just the the pared down band and... That's it great. was just That's the great. ribbon mics and the pared down band, and it was blew my mind. It was so awesome. Was that the live from Idaho that we saw? Yes. Oh. Yes, it was the vault. I'm very jealous. It's the record. Oh. It's the yeah, record. The DVD okay. is Alaska, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So you had you saw that record show? The thing that struck me, 
it was the stories he was telling between the songs. I mean, for anyone who's heard it, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, I assume they have, those stories were just so incredible to hear and getting elaboration. That's where I first, like, Rob Jones kind of popped up on my radar and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of crazy, awesome stuff. Yeah, I loved the story about hotel, the Hotel Yarba. Yeah. That was <laughs> hilarious. So funny to watch him tell that live. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. Wow. And I think I see myself in the book that accompanied that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how uh, well, how many people were there? Was it a large crowd or? Um, gosh, that, that theater is like, do you guys have um, like a, any of the old style art deco theaters in either of the towns you're in? Yes. Yeah. Anybody yeah. have one of those? Okay. Um, it's a, it was about that size. Just a regular a movie theater with a big screen. There was not more than maybe 500 at the most. Like, there, it was not big at all. The Mayan is oh, a, yeah. one of those mm-hmm. kind of theaters. I saw the Kills mm-hmm. there last year, and it was a oh, very awesome. intimate setting because those old school theaters are so tiny yes. that you can really kind of get in there. So that uh, was cool. Have either of you ever been to the Fremont Theater in San Luis Obispo? No. Okay. Unfortunately, like I'm out here in lonely New Jersey. Oh. <laughs> That's their correct response to this. <laughs> it's pity. I've been a lot of places, seen pictures of the rest, but of all the places I can't think of, I like Jersey best. Well, no, I mean, that being in New Jersey, I'm from New Jersey too, we had the opportunity to go to all those New York shows and stuff, so that... You're yeah. not, I, I, yeah. You're not stranded, James. You're good. You're fine. <laughs> I was awaiting the news for those acoustic shows, knowing that he's been to like all of the Northeast states, and I was like, <laughs> I, I'll drive somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Are you thinking on going to the record opening, the record plant pressing opening, or no? Me? In uh, Detroit? No. Mm-mm. Okay. Yeah. No, nah, it's too far for me. Both of us have never been to Detroit. We've been to Nashville, but when we were very little. But I was thinking on possibly driving to Detroit. In fact, I told my wife, would you mind uh, on, on in February, sometime in February, driving for seven hours? And she's like, <laughs> what day is it? And I was like, okay, cool. So maybe? Is, maybe, is that a 14-hour drive for you guys? It's probably closer to eight hours for me. Maybe a flight would be more reasonable. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, but wow. then you'd have the story, the road trip story. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And, and my wife grumbling the whole time going, we're doing this for Jack White, aren't we? <laughs> uh, so you guys had that whole seven-hour drive back to Portland to talk about what yes. happened and all that. That must have been a really exciting drive back. You know, it was funny because Dana and I get along swimmingly, but that was only the second time we had ever spent time together. And you know, after that, in hindsight, we were both like, "I'm glad you weren't psycho. I'm glad you weren't psycho." You know, because yeah. she could have chopped me up in little pieces and left me somewhere. <laughs> it seems to be a common yeah. thread with some of these stories we're getting. We told one for the Thanksgiving episode about somebody going to the Cast Corridor, and they had just met this person like that day, and I was like, hmm. "Well, that seems yeah. dubious to drive like six hours with somebody you just met," but. It seems to work out. The Jack White fans seem to be pretty good. I thank uh, I thank James for not being a psycho after every recording. That's true. <laughs> um, so just to, to sort of circle back to the topic that we're doing this week, we're talking a little bit about Get Behind Me Satan. You said that you had gotten onto the Jack train during kind of the Blood Cells era with Fell in Love with a Girl and stuff like that. 
Do you recall what you thought of Get Behind Me Satan when that album came out? Because a lot of people really perceive that album as a as a severe departure, and I know it alienated some. But do you have any memories of when that album came out? I loved it. I yeah. thought it was great. There is not anything that I don't like. I mean, honestly, I love every single White Stripe song except for Who's a Big Baby. <laughs> <laughs> thought the concept was great i loved the whole um did you guys see the interview with charlie rose when yeah. get behind me Satan was coming out That's that really was good. really awesome and his whole experience with being on the amazon and getting married and all of that i just loved all of that i loved the aesthetic i loved the kind of mystery behind the whole alternate kind of cover with who uh, I thought was Anthony Kiedis for the longest time. <laughs> it um, does look a little like Anthony Kiedis, yeah. It totally does. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the, nur- oh. the Nurse, by the way. That's one of my favorite oh. songs. So I love it. The whole from the Amazonian Lights, the xylophone or whatever that thing is that he played Marimba? in the beginning Marimba. with that. Marimba, yeah. It was so great. So I love that yeah. song. It's, it's yeah. grown on me in a way that I didn't think it would. When I first heard the song, I did not like it. I did not like it at all. I've, I've really been trying to put a finger on why I love it so much. But it came out around the same time as um, this McCartney album, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard, which was produced by um, Radiohead's producer. And that album had a similar second track. First track, very commercial, very what you'd expect. And then the second track sharp turn into what the album would become and i kind of almost appreciate that uh in in a listening experience those kind of sharp turns our buddy mike who can't stand get behind me satan ironically saw that satan tour in uh in 2005 in brooklyn and we were i was i'm so pissed particularly because he hates that album and that makes me very sad yeah Um, well he saw jack in his prime so there's that uh, even if he didn't like the album, he got to see Jack White. Got to see that mustache. <laughs> mustache. <laughs> um, um, as an aside, by the way, something that I had just thought of actually re-listening to the episode that we just posted, the two mysterious figures who are on the album kind of tie in to who take place on like the, there's on the single cover and the Record Store Day release. They kind of adhere to the metamorphosis aspect of the album yeah. in that they are the lenticular cover has them metamorphosizing into uh, yeah. these two people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting and something I just thought of. Have you done the thing where you take a picture of it and you see the lightning bolt between the fingers? What? Yeah, no. it's really cool. <laughs> You have uh, to take, yeah. You have to take a picture with your flash on, and okay. you have to hit it just right. But you can see like their fingers behind their backs, and there's like yeah. a lightning bolt. It's pretty uh, cool. Is there anything behind the lenticular cover? Do you know? I am not gonna risk it. Yeah, I'm know. not prying. I haven't that heard off. anything. Okay. I did see that somebody took their lenticular cover off of was it Bonnaroo? No, it was off of the Jack White Live at Third Man oh, vault. Mm-hmm. But still, like ah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even yeah, have that. I, I mean, you'd have to buy another one, you know, for that. <laughs> yeah, he reason, had two. But, he said. Yeah. So. I have to tell you guys the whole when we were talking about the aesthetics and everything with listening to vinyl and the liner notes and everything. My husband and I had started watching WKRP in Cincinnati. It's a sitcom that takes place at a radio station in Cincinnati. Okay, and. It's like in the late 70s, early 80s. And they're always taking things out of the covers and just manhandling them. And I'm going, oh, oh you're, you hurt, you're hurting my heart with all of that non-careful vinyl handling. When I got my first vinyl record, I was, I was like 
I don't know, nine when I got my first final record. They had already come and gone from a yard sale. And it was Bangladesh, like, disc two or something. And it was only disc two. Just the um, second disc. Just all the yeah. Indian chanting. Yeah. <laughs> so, but when I got it, I, like, took it out. And I was just, like, you know, like, holding it. And my dad just accosted me. He's like, no, that's not how you do this. You're ruining the music. And I'm like, the yeah. music is inside this. It's not, it can't, that, that's not how music works, Dad. And he's like, no. They're in the computer. They're in the computer? Yeah, they're definitely in there. I just don't know how he labeled them. I got it. You gotta figure it out. In the computer. It's so simple. So, I, that's my <laughs> little tangent into me doing the yeah. same thing that you're yelling at these people about. Uh, I duct taped them to the wall of my dorm room in college, uh, so oh, that's probably stop. even worse. <laughs> Stop, yeah. Um, all right. Before we murder you with our with our stories of vinyl desecration, we want to thank you very much for joining us on the show today. And is there any? Uh, you're part of a lot of different fan communities. Is there any of those kind of groups and things you want to plug while you're here, or give any shout outs? I gotta give a shout out to my girls, Renee Bross, <laughs> Raina Gordon Sullivan, <laughs> uh, Danielle Bella, and <laughs> Christina Condor. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Another admin of the collectors group. Yes. I see her posts often. I have yet to interact with her, but hello if you're listening to this. She <laughs> listens to and this. And Robbie, Robbie and Dana, my third man peeps local. Gotta say nice. hi to them. Hello. Yeah. Well, that that's awesome. And so we'll sort of wrap up here just saying once again, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for all the support. We mean it very sincerely when we say that it, it means so much to us when we hear from you oh. and from Callie and from and from Kate and from Andre and from all those people. Like, you guys are just very supportive and we very much appreciate it because it's really the reason we're doing it is to, to have moments like this and to interact with you guys. So thank you so much. Yeah, yes. and I appreciate all the work that you guys put into every episode and I find you to be extremely knowledgeable and I enjoy learning and your banter is great i love it so well, all right that's yeah. one person and who it, likes it james one <laughs> did it. Did we did it. did it please stop doing the jackson though you're killing me <laughs> you're not alone foghorn leghorn is not a jack white accent smart boy got a mind like a steel trap full of mice okay. <laughs> fair enough well All it's right, morphed well. into Carl Butterball sort of it's like the same oh person. god oh. Carl Butterball no no no, no send in no. the turkeys <laughs> Carl lives on in all of our hearts. And uh, I think that is a great place to end this interview. Segment. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're going to go back to the Thanks, show now. Thank you for joining us today. We had a great time going through this episode, and, you know, I've been really looking forward to doing this episode because it's my favorite album. Uh, but we'd like to thank a few people today. We'd like to, as always, we do sort of a, we do our main supporters, people who've been with us week in, week out. We want to give shout-outs to Jeremy Riles. Thank you, Jeremy. Keeping us on the rails, Mr. Jeremy Riles. We have the great Callie Durga. Ah, the great Callie Durga. Callie, what would we do without you? I don't know. Maybe be in the army, perhaps. <laughs> Uh, we've got Adrian King. Adrian, you're the best. We love you. The Queen Adrian King. I like it. Uh, thank you, Adrian. And we have, not Lion Man, Mr. Andre Lyman. The giant. 
Jack White fan. This is Andre the Giant. Maybe we're trying. Yeah, maybe look, not. Look, these maybe not. these nick these nicknames. They're yeah. not good. <laughs> no, they're not how you, how you say good. Uh, we'd also like to thank some new people. We got Relissa Middle. Thank you, Relissa. Thanks, Relissa. We got. Tanya Hill Nance, thank you so much. Thank you, Tanya. We've got Richard Friend. Richard, hey. you're the best. Thank you. How's it, going? How's it going, Richard? We got Fox Conaway. Fox Conaway, handily the best name of the bunch. <laughs> Thanks, Fox Conaway. Thanks, Fox. And we'd like to also thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the production and recording of our theme song, We're the Third Men. Thank you, Sam and Tom. Thank you to Susanna Roundtree for the intro and outro of our program. Thank you. You can find her artwork on susanimated.tumblr.com. You can find her on Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. And check out her art. It's really cool. She's an animator, and she does a lot of really cool art. She does comic stuff, so check it out. And if you want to check us out, you can go to facebook.com slash thirdmen and uh, click like and become part of the conversation. Yeah, we've got a nice big group there. It's getting bigger every day. We really appreciate it. Everybody, thank you for joining that group. Uh, if you want to f- contact us on Twitter, we're at Third Men Cast. Thank you uh, for everybody who's been following us. Thank you. Feel free to tumble down with us at thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com where you could uh, reblog things, perhaps. I guess that's what people do on Tumblr. Yeah, thanks for everybody who's been joining joining us there and following us. If you want to go straight to the source, you can go to thethirdmen.wordpress.com. That's where you'll find all our show notes. That's where we post all the shows. We've got pictures there and stuff. Uh, we also put pictures on the Facebook, but yeah, check that out. Yeah, and uh, feel free to shoot us an email with any corrections or facts to smell at thirdmanpodcast at gmail.com, or even if you want to just say hi. We're yeah. available to say hi. Just say hi, you know? We're pretty just approachable. Just say hi. Look, yeah. just say hi. Yeah. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, also, check us out on Podomatic and Overcast. We, you know, we're available on a couple different podcatchers, so please check us out there. And then, James, you do a lovely YouTube visualizer for the show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you can catch them on our YouTube. Just type in Third Man Podcast. It'll come up. Feel free to try and find all the Easter eggs that I throw in there. Sometimes they're easy. Sometimes they're a little harder. Who knows? Eh, who knows? Yeah. yeah. And then we'll come up with some crazy dumb contest for everyone who can catch all of them. That's right. Catch them, catch them, gotta catch them all. Yeah. Well, this podcast is turning to ashes. So, uh... <sighs> <sighs> Pokemon. Oh, that pun made me misty-eyed. Ah, I'm gonna hit you in the head with a rock. <laughs> Pikachu! Anyway. Also, we are now accepting listener questions for an upcoming episode where James and I will answer your listener questions. So if you have one, whether it be about Jack White or the podcast or really anything that you would like us to cover on the show or maybe suggestions, stuff like that, you can Email us at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com or you can leave the suggestions on our Facebook group or tweet at us using the hashtag thirdmencast and uh, we will endeavor to answer every question sent our way. So please, please send those questions in because we need them. That's going to do us for this week. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back here next Wednesday with an all-new episode, we hope. And uh, we'll talk to you then. Until that point, James, I'll be looking for a home. I'll be looking for a home. We'll see you next Wednesday. Bye. Don't say it like that.
like that this week. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. I said Gondry, right? I didn't say Gondry. You, you did, but it, it, if I heard it fast enough, I would have been like, okay. Mahatma? Uh, Let's see. Black and white. I'm on David Swanson's website right now. Uh, naked people, naked people, dead weather, Meg, Jack. This is Charlie. Hi, Charlie. He's a little butthole. Oh, he's cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This episode's audio is the Skype problems of, uh, of, the, of, of Cold Mouth episodes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm kind of stoked that I don't hang out in message boards. Anyway. Oh, yeah, you're telling me. Message boards get pretty messy. (laughs) You shook board me. (laughs) Okay. So, it's been a a long episode. Uh, I loved it. Mike, our, our buddy Mike, 